Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, operating partner at Project A, and our guest today is Lina Arnold. Welcome. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and we ask them an identical set of questions across domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. Tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Lina, welcome. Who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Hey, yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm Lina Arnold, and I'm the founder and CEO of Julie Berlin and Julie Inc. And um, we are an international agency for um, and also platform for data-driven influencer marketing and content creation. And um, yeah, why, why do I do it? We, we just saw a, a huge um, need for more transparency and tracking and measurement in the field of, of influencer marketing back in the day and decided to found um, Julie Berlin in 2018. So it's it's been our fourth year now. And um, yeah, right now we're internationalizing into the US market. That's why I just said Julie Berlin and Julie Inc. because we have an entity in Germany and one in the States. You are actually in the States right at the moment, right? Yes, I'm right now in and LA I, building up the office here. And I heard that, uh, that you have quite an interesting neighbor uh, in your hotel at the moment. Uh, yeah, so right now I'm in an Airbnb, but like in the first week we stayed in a hotel and uh, that was quite funny because um, after, you know, coming back from Hawaii, so we, we've been to Hawaii and then we came back in the middle of the night and the 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 hotel um, guy, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's going to be a little loud, we have a production going on and we, we got to the room and apparently it was Kanye West producing his new album right next to us and, you know, I have two kids, they're four and six. And like you could, oh not, and I mean, I don't know if you guys know how how Americans build their their homes, but it's like you hear everything, and it was like we were in four or four, and I think he was in four or five, so it was like literally the room right next to us. And like so in this it, case, it's a feature that the that the walls are so thin, right? I know, right? Like you you could hear like this is gonna be a good album, um, and um, the kids were like sitting at two a.m. in the in the middle of the night in the bed, you know, drawing pictures because you just couldn't sleep, and I was like well, either I'm going to be pissed now or, and, you know, make some drama or I'm just embracing it, you know, because it's such a LA experience. And yeah, that's what we did. It was a, it was a good experience. Okay. But you won't leak any phone recordings or so. No, 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 no. I, I better not. I'm afraid here. <laughs> I'm not even like, I, like even saying that it was him. I'm not sure if that was uh, smart, but no, I'm <laughs> not going to leak anything. <laughs> All right. Uh, back to your company, uh, Julie. Um, so who are typically your customers? Who's your target group? Um, our um, our target group are usually brands that are interested in social media and influencer marketing and um, data-driven content. And of course, also uh, the creative side, creative people, um, you know, let it be the influencer on Instagram or the creator on TikTok. That's quite funny because uh, you, you don't want to um, call um, influencer influencer on TikTok because they, they are creators and Instagram is influencer. So those are some you know, 
uh, funny <laughs> funny facts to know. Um, exactly. So right now we we console clients such as, for example, um, Zalando, Tiffany Co, Dior, um, Katjes, and many many more in in different markets. Um, yeah, like like I said, from Berlin and LA. Um, yeah, we have more than forty employees in in Berlin, hiring five in LA right now. And um, the most important thing for them is usually to to get content. Uh, I guess content is king. We we talk about this for years already in the marketing industry, but especially with the um, rise of TikTok or in general video content that needs to be authentic. I think many brands need help because the usual assets they have are not very successful uh, and the target group, you know, don't want to see that. They want to see something different. So that's exactly where we are coming in and help. Thank you very much. Very interesting company. Now we move on to something that we hope our audience will enjoy, which is a standardized set of questions. It's 42 of them, and we will try to do that actually in 42 minutes. Let's get started. All right. The first chapter is people. Number one, if you'd start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Yeah, so that's that's a tough question, to be honest. Um, probably very good and experienced account manager and videographer and performance marketing manager, I'd say. Um, I know this is not five now, it's three. Um, but in general, I think, you know, looking back, it's good to invest in good people. And even though they might be a little more expensive or even, you know, a lot more expensive, I think that's something I would do from the beginning on. And were these your first five hires, which is question number two? The opposite. <laughs> um, no, I mean, of course, in the beginning, you don't have any money. Like, like we got, we had no funding, and we were also not seeking funding. So, you know, it was our own money. You're very, you know, like not greedy about it. But um, yeah, I just didn't want to spend too much money. But right now, I see, you know, good people, even though they're expensive, it just comes back right in. So, so what was different was not so much the the selection of the skills. It was more like the the level of experience. Um, you just go for people that are more available for you as a, as a founder in the early stage. Yeah. Okay. Question number three, what are the hardest hires today from your perspective? From my perspective, it is, um, I mean, like everyone knows that. I think everyone has the same problem as developers, to find good at developers. Um, but also in my industry, since TikTok and social media still is such a new market, it's really hard to find experience and good business development managers that have, you know, um, a network and expertise in the market. Um, because, yeah, usually, um, you know, they come from, from kind of other verticals. So I find that really hard. I have that struggle right now in LA again to find someone, you know, who can bring in uh, budgets and network, etc. So for me, that's really hard. And also finding good performance marketing managers, you know, that are really data driven uh, into A-B testing and so on. So paid social, um, I feel like that's hard to, to win them again um, as well. That is uh, I totally, I mean, I totally copy that. It's somehow also good to hear because this is exactly our sweet spot when we help our uh, companies. Yeah. But okay. Um, coming, looking at your organization, um, you said you are, you, you are 40 people. How do you measure or do you measure in any way employee satisfaction? 
Um, good question. So right now we do that very traditional in one-on-ones. So we have weekly one-on-ones and we have team leads and directors and so on. So um, we do that um, and feedback talks also in um, like, uh, you know, when, we, when someone starts after four weeks, we have the first feedback talk and then after 18 weeks and so on. So we have a structure here. Um, but to be honest, that's something I want to work on because I think a process would be great to, to get better in receiving uh, employee feedback and, you know, just measuring how, how happy they are. Yeah, it's probably always good to have that personal touch. On the other hand, in an anonymous way, you also get like probably some feedback that, well, you only get in an anonymous way. Um, how do you measure employee performance? Um, so usually, I mean, we look at the revenue. So uh, we would um, look at what, you know, when, when the employee starts or takes over an account, what revenue we have on the account and how they grow that account. That's also something we, um, yeah, we, we set up in the targets for that specific person. And also um, what we uh, look at is um, the client satisfaction rate. Since we are, you know, a service company and our clients are, yeah, are king, um, we always ask our employees in our one-on-ones, what do you think, how happy is your client with your service right now or with our service? Because we think that's also good to let the employee, you know, decide if he thinks or she thinks the client is happy. Um, so I think that's that's uh, for us a good good uh, way to to measure that as well. Okay, so um, that that is very uh, sales or yeah sales focused or yeah. revenue focused. Mm -hmm. um, how about people that have other roles? I don't know in in, in product or so. Um, I mean, in like. It's more, I mean, since we're, I mean, we are 40 people, but we, we just grew a lot during the last few months. So I think I still feel like we are a startup um, and, um, you know, it's more about talking about targets, you know, and, uh, you know, setting up a, a meeting and see if we, if we reach that, those targets so that it's very traditional and, you know, based on, on feedback as well. Okay. And personal talks. Um... What do you think about organizational structures? How would you structure your organization? Um, yeah. Um, so for me, I think, especially in my industry, I need to work with a lot of Gen Z uh, people. So flat hierarchies is very important for us because otherwise they're just going to leave the company because they don't, they hate, you know, that bossy behavior, you know, and these kind of like structures that I'm still used to because I, I, I'm a banker, you know, I learned in a bank. So I'm, I'm like used to being in like strong or strict hierarchies. But um, what I saw in the beginning when I tried to have that in my company, that people didn't like that and the whole company culture was not great. So we adjusted. Now we have flat hierarchies, but still very clear and transparent uh, reporting lines. So I think that's very important. But still, you know, like the intern can always come and talk to me and ask me questions. So that's what I mean with flat hierarchies. Um, uh, and I feel like this is, something new organizations need especially if you need to work with young people you need to adjust to how they are yeah i guess that's a good combination right you you, you have the flat hierarchy but everybody still knows very clearly um who they can go to in case they have a problem need support etc because yeah, exactly. that's also a, a service to to the employee exactly right? And I also want that, you know, it's with like with kids. I mean, you know, I have kids like if you're too open minded, like, oh, do whatever you want. They they need structure and, you know, and routines. And I think that's like sometimes I like to compare my my employees to my kids. But, the, you know, it is what it is. Like sometimes you, you feel like they need the same structure. <laughs> that actually brings us to culture. What's your approach here? 
yeah, so for me, it is the most important factor ever. I, I mean, and, you know, like the last years, I, I learned the hard way, you know, like if you don't have a good culture, it just, dest it can destroy you the whole company. And I also feel like since good people are rare and it's getting worse and worse, you have to fight for them and they just want to have a good company culture. They want to feel um, that you hear them, that you're there for them. So um, it is something we invest a lot in, like, you know, with, um, you know, they don't need to work for, uh, they can work from home always, you know, at Julie, they can be for three months in Italy in, in the summertime, work from there, opening up the LA office so that Berlin people can come here, you know, like we invest so much that people have fun working at Julie, just because I feel like this is how we can keep the people, the good people, you know, otherwise they're just going to go to another company who does that. Um, yeah, and my, my, my ultimate goal is that everyone loves to come to the office or, you know, works from home and wakes up and, you know, is happy to be, to be, um, at, at Julie. And in general, I'm, I'm a big believer in energy and flow. You know, if you're happy, if you like what you're doing, you're going to do great on your, in your job. And that's what I need from my employees. If they feel, you know, stressed and pressured and, you know, not happy, this is at the end of the day, that's going to destroy my business. That also taps into question number eight, which is, um, is your company remote first or office first? So right now it's remote first because we don't want to see them in the office at the moment because we're like super strict about COVID. I mean, in general, like right now, I think in the Berlin team, they said three people can come max and they shouldn't be on the same team because if one team is affected, you know, you don't want some clients to have no service at all anymore because the whole team that works on the account um, has COVID. Um, but in general, we decided to have a really nice office, maybe not the full capacity because not everyone will be coming every day, you know, but that we have a great office. People can come, people actually like you know, and be proud of our office and love to show it and um, love to be there. But also if someone says, hey, I just want to be at work from home like every day, that's fine for us. Um, and that's also what we communicated to our employees after COVID, um, it, you know, after COVID, if they're going to be after COVID, like uh, this, that's how it's going to be forever. So we also started hiring people that, you know, might want to move away from Berlin, you know, uh, but but that's fine for us. The only thing we have is that we say um, we have a team event all, uh, every three months. That's going to be a nice dinner in Berlin. And we want people to be there so that we have this, you know, un inter um, employee communication. So that's important for us and with events. And in general, I think if companies, you know, start having an office, it always seems kind of greedy, you know, it's like, oh, I don't, I want to save money on, on the office, uh, you know, and people are just going to be at home. And I feel like employees don't like that, but also, you know, pressuring to come into the office, I think is not 2022 style anymore. Yeah. Okay. That concludes the first chapter. Next one is tech. Question number nine. Is Jolie a tech company? Yes, it is, even though it didn't seem like it in the beginning. But um, my co-founder and I, we, we are coming out of the ad tech industry. So I we've been in so after we we've been in a bank, we we were in the online marketing industry and we were used to all these platforms, tracking providers, you know, pixel integrations and so on. And that's also why we why we founded Julie, right? Because this was not happening in the influencer marketing industry at that point, and that's why we decided, hey, we can we can uh, challenge the status quo, we can change that, we can make it more more trackable, um, and that's why we started to build our own platform from 
pretty much the beginning on. So we do have our own uh, platform where we track all campaigns, where you can see all data like clicks, conversions, um, reach, and so on. And we also, uh, um, you know, evaluate, um, you know, who's who, what kind of vertical is great for what kind of product, um, uh, what kind of influencer, what kind of channel. Um, we do predictions for our clients. So we're definitely a tech company. Yeah. It's not what one probably first thinks when they hear influencer agency, but with that approach, certainly. Yes. Um, product or development, who's in the lead? I have yes. a guess, but... <laughs> yeah, so for us, it's definitely product. So um, yeah, we're always listening to customer and employee needs. So I think in general, employees always feedback us like, oh, this is such a hard process. Maybe we can, you know, put that in the, like, for example, so many emails with all these influencers, maybe we can put it in the platform, you know, to make it more easy. More people from the team can, you know, have an overview. We don't always have to CC everyone. Like these kind of feedback we get. And then we consider building it into our platform. You know what I mean? And same with our clients, you know, when we see you know there's a change in the industry you know now they start looking more into the like for example in the beginning they would always look at follower but never at reach like extra reach that was was generated so when that changed we also um adjust the platform so i guess we are always listening to market needs um so who decides what you develop next um, yeah, very start startupy. That's my co-founder Jonas. He's the leader of the of the platform. He loves he loves it so much. Like you know, with all these like, I'm, I'm he's the opposite of me. He's very detail oriented. I, I'm not that much. So that's why we decided it's better if he does the whole platform. <laughs> um, and um, he he always gathers and um, gets all the feedback from clients from from employees, and then he's like putting them into um, you know like sprints, like where he would say like, hey, okay, like. For the next two months, we should be able to develop this. Afterwards, this is, you know, priority B or priority C. So um, it's very manual. Yeah. So that's actually question number twelve. How does the decision process work? So it's a it's a mutual effort with 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 these team members. Exactly. So multiple team members send in new product ideas, requests, product lead, and product lead who's him, you know, prioritizes for developers. Mm -hmm. Thirteen. What's your take on product led growth? Um, I think, uh, it is really important in general. I think it's really important to create a product that serves the needs of your customers. Um, I also, I always keep saying, you know, in, as a startup, always ask your potential target, you know, uh, customer and develop the, um, the product accordingly. I know sometimes it's different though. You know, I mean, this is this Apple example you know there was no need for an iphone but still you know this is such a great revolution so i don't think my answer fits every every situation but usually i think you should you know listen to your target group which role does design play in your company it is super important for us and definitely something we have to to work on still because um our I mean, our platform is being used by influencers and brand marketing managers. So, for example, at Zalando or Katia's or, you know, whatever client we have, you have the brand marketing manager who is responsible for the budget and he wants to spend the budget with us. So um, they are very um, not picky, but they they love high quality and good, you know, good, good, high, crispy images and nice design. So it's, it's really important for them. And also the, the UX part is really important. You know, that it makes sense in a platform to click, uh, to, to, um, choose influences and so on. Um, so really, really important for us. And it has to be state of the art. I think state of the art is an important, um, 
a term here as well. Last uh, question in the tech chapter. Um, do you or would you consider outsourcing your software development being a tech company? So we do that right now, but I mean, we are a tech company, but also a big portion of us is agency business. So uh, for us at the beginning, it was important to, to do it and to test it out. You know, um, I think it totally makes sense if you if you go big um, that you have it in-house, but it also has its perks or advantages being not in-house. Um, yeah, so I think, again, here, it definitely depends on the situation. If you are a company that, you know, fully tech company and just focusing on tech, of course, it would, I think it wouldn't make no sense. It would make no sense to have it um, externally. Okay. Thanks a lot. Next chapter. Growth. Thinking of a complete funnel, brand, marketing, sales, customer success. Do you have all these functions at Julie? Um. Kind of like all of it besides customer success. And um, yeah, while reading or like hearing the question um, makes me think I should have it because I, you know, it's it's a great idea to to have that as well on top of the account managers and everything that I have. Um, but in general, I mean, we are a marketing company. Um, we we do have these, um, yeah, we do have these departments as well, but not as big as B2C brands, I'd say. Mm -hmm. 17, who's in the lead out of the mentioned functions, brand, marketing, sales, customer success, or, or without customer success in this case, um, who's in the lead and how are they structured? Yeah, I mean, like I said, since we're a, com a marketing company ourselves and we offer marketing services to our clients, it is structured differently. Um, we have our account managers and they are responsible for marketing efforts for our clients and for our own B2B marketing efforts we uh, work with a pr agency that's it's always quite funny we're an influencer agency and we have our own pr agency that supports us um in the b2b field and we also have one person in charge internally i'd say in general um right now until right now we were super lucky that we didn't have to do marketing and sales because um our clients would recommend us to other clients and other friends in the in the industry. So we were growing without sales and marketing. But uh, in general, if I look at the ex like uh, the last months and years, um, like uh, like articles in the B two B press, like for example with OMR and and other ones, were super successful and brought us many many um, clients that approached us. The next question is, how do you make sure that all these functions don't work in silos and blame each other in case the revenue doesn't pour in? So now that is probably in your case, the way you describe it, not so much a question for you yourself, for your own company, but I bet you see interesting um, similar situations at, at your clients. Yes. So that's exactly what I wanted to say. Um, like for us, we don't have that really, but it's a talk I have every day with my clients because either I have, you know, influencer marketing is quite funny because sometimes people have it in their performance budgets and sometimes they have it in their branding budgets. So I talk to performance marketers and brand, brand awareness, you know, marketers and, um, they always, not they always, but usually they blame each other, you know, like the branding people are like, oh my gosh, this performance team is you know, trashing the brand, like I, like all these coupon codes, um, you know, like I don't want to see that anymore. And it's such a, you know, CTA way of telling storytelling, like call to action always, you know, uh, whereas the, the branding team wants to create more creative stories and storytelling. And also on influencer marketing, that's also quite funny. The ones that sell are usually not the ones that you 
associate your brand with. It's um, like this, the, the ones that are really good in driving sales are the ones, you know, yeah, that you wouldn't put on your own channel. So um, we always have this discussion, you know, like who should be our brand ambassador. And then you have these fights. I think in general, uh, brand and performance, they have to work more closely together as they are doing right now. But I also see that this is developing in that direction. Yeah. Okay. Um, how important is brand for you? And again, now not thinking of your clients, but for you as uh, for, for your own company, for yourself. Um, super important. Um, in general, I think most brands forget how important it is and destroy their brand with like poor and short-term thinking performance marketing efforts. Um, while always just thinking about their own KPIs, but also thinking about us. Um, you know, the, the industry is so small. Everyone knows each other. If you have a fight with someone, you, you're going to be in contact with that person at some point again, for sure. So uh, branding is super important. Um, we always say like our clients are very, you know, luxury and very, like very good clients that we have. So we need to represent them. So we need to be this, we have, we need to have the same branding kind of, you know, so it is really important for us. Okay. And, and how do you approach the whole brand topic? Uh, good design, like very nice presentations, website, um, uh, yeah, you know, good interviews, um, yeah, on social media, always watching out what we post, you know, I mean, unlike we, we always keep telling our clients, you know, post more and don't be too picky about it. Like we, we are ourselves, but again, that's B2C versus B2B. So I think that's, that's uh, something. And again, the design on the platform, those are very important topics for us. Okay. Um, question 21, which marketing channels do you use and why? We use mainly LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, LinkedIn for potential clients, I'd say, and employees. So we post, you know, new campaign results or, you know, stuff that we want to talk about to uh, so that our clients see we are active. We have other clients maybe as well. We are, we are you know, a cool agency or platform to work with um, and for potential employees it's super important in terms of employer branding that they see okay do i really want to work with that company what are they doing you know and um tiktok um since we're heavily uh, focusing on tiktok marketing of course we also have a tiktok account we even did tiktok ads uh, to find new employees so our videographer you know produced tiktoks how is it working at julie berlin and then we pushed it with um media that was quite uh, funny uh, so those are the channels we work with cool i can very well imagine that we might actually reach out to you for that yeah It's half time. uh thanks so far We continue with question 22. Is performance marketing dead or dying anytime soon? So I think uh, with all these changes, iOS updates and so on, I think we have to think performance marketing new. Um, I think it need to be more sophisticated, more creative as it is right now because people don't want to see the typical performance ad anymore. That's definitely something we see in our data or if you look at facebook ads tiktok ads you know everything we're using you can just see that it's not performing anymore and um tiktok is a great example i think how normal performance marketing um how you know isn't working anymore and brands combine brand awareness and performance 
while, for example, producing native TikTok content and become super successful. You know, it's such a good case to look at how, how this whole industry, you know, where it's going. Um, so I think you need to be more creative, not as, um, yeah, buy that now. And all these like exact, like the codes, I think the code topic is like a huge topic we should talk about. Like, I know you have to do it to track it, especially with mobile. It's like the only thing how you can, you know, very precise track if that um, sale was coming from a specific ad. But I think it's just not, you know, people just don't want to see it anymore. And And I think it trashes your brand. Okay. Going to the end of the funnel, do you have salespeople actually employed by Jolie? Um, yeah, I mean, you have one who does sales. It's not an actual salesperson, but uh, she's helping out with this staff. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier, um, we we grew through mouth to mouth only in the in the past weeks and months. And uh, now with uh, the internationalization, with um, you know the United States and uh, UK and other markets opening up for us, um, we just you know want to make sure we have a pipe a pipeline you know of new leads. Also in the Berlin team, we we are such a big team now. So, you know, I don't want to, I mean, we don't, we don't have that risk that one client drops out and we have to let people go because we, we diversified our risk really nice because we have so many clients, so it wouldn't affect us. But still, I just want to make sure, you know, we can grow incrementally, new clients coming in, then hiring, you know, it's like a... In German, we say, how is it in English? The hen and egg, hen egg, um, yeah, hen and egg, chicken, egg, yeah. chicken egg problem. Um, so that's what we're having, you know, like always a little marketing, a sales, a little recruiting. Again, sales, recruiting, mm-hmm. you know, like that's how we try to grow. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, last question on that chapter is, uh, how do you actually find good digital savvy salespeople, which we know from many of our B2B brands or companies in the portfolio, It seems not that easy. Where do you find those? It is not easy. That's what I just said. Like, like the last days, I was, I was like, I'm doing it myself. I was on LinkedIn and tried to find people, you know, <laughs> for the LA team. And I was like, oh, I can't find good people, you know. It's like they are, I don't know. That's exactly my problem. So I don't have a good answer. But if, if I would look, I would do active recruiting on LinkedIn. I would talk to my, so I asked, for example, TikTok and other clients of mine and was like, what kind of companies bring in good, good budgets and good, you know, like business, because then I know they probably have good business, uh, you know, salespeople. And then I try to recruit them. But that's, that's my approach. But I understand if somebody's listening to this, and they're interested, and they see themselves as tech savvy um, uh, salespeople, they can reach out to you. They can reach out to me, please. Okay, cool. <laughs> Next chapter, data. How does data make Julie successful? Now, again, this is probably a little bit specific in, in, in your case because that's actually core of your what you do. But yeah, how, how do you use data and how does data make you successful? Yeah, it's our, it's our most valuable asset. It's our number one USP that we pitch compared to our competitors because usually they are more agency-based. We have our platform. So we, you know, tracked and evaluated data for you know, four years now, like with many brands, many influencers, many markets. So it is our most valuable asset. Um, We know how influencers, specific assets, channels perform for what kind of product vertical in what market. So this is 
you know, the killer, we always say that's the killer mix, you know, um, other agencies don't have that. They're like, oh, that's such a nice profile. It looks pretty. Let's book them. But, you know, it's like usually the gut feeling is wrong here. Like always, like my gut feeling was always wrong. So I'm just listening to data here. If I see this person performs or does not. Um, and it just lets us predict KPIs for our clients, which is super important because usually they are afraid, you know, if they have a big budget and they're like, oh, do you think that's going to perform? I need at the end, I need the results. Um, and then, you know, I feel way more comfortable and can take some risk away because we have the data. And what about what about Julie itself, uh, for yourself? And in, in which functional areas is your own team uh, data-driven or data-supported? Um, classic is everybody does performance marketing in the data-driven way, obviously. Yeah. Is that the case in your, how, how, how do you use data internally? So a, a good example is that uh, one of our biggest clients is TikTok itself. So we produce TikToks for TikTok and their clients. So uh, for that's, that, that's always where we use data because, I mean, we know exactly what kind of like create. And we always merge creative and data. So we have very cool storytelling ads and then we push them with media. And sometimes you would think that's probably a super good performing one, but it just doesn't perform. So we, we use data of what kind of video style, you know, works on what kind of target group. Um, so our design of how we design new video assets is fully based on, of course, also sometimes client is like, I want to do it like that. And you can tell them it's not going to perform, but they still want to do it. So then we, of course, we have to do it like that. But usually we use our internal data and our learnings to um, educate the client, like this is going to perform, this not, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you or somebody from your team talks to your data team, do they, do they want to, uh, to answer specific questions? Or do they also explore data available to, to find opportunities in more an explorative way? Board or or responding to to specific questions. It's more about finding opportunities. Like like what can I do? Like you know, if I if I know the data seems like it's going into that direction. Like let's say one kind one vertical is converting like crazy. You know, I can use that data and see the opportunity that I should grow that vertical within my company. Okay, thanks. Um, now, we sometimes see that in companies, um, uh, data teams try to help, but the people who should use it don't really do what, what, what the data recommends. How do you ensure people really do what the data recommend? I mean, for us, it's sometimes more the other way around. Like the data is, you know, they, they can, they look it up in our, on our platform, what the data suggests, but I still want people to think if this makes sense for the specific client or, you know, because sometimes it's very randomized, like this vertical should go into that direction, but this client is a little different maybe. So um, I ensure, I mean, how do I ensure it? Um, the team lead always looks over plannings. So mm -hmm. sometimes you have a team and they would suggest the client, you know, X, Y, Z, and then I'm always myself or the team leader is looking over it and it's going to challenge the decision of the account manager or campaign manager or whatever person that was. But in general, um, I also want them to, to think about if the data makes sense here, you know, the other way around. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in the field of data, which tools and infrastructure um, do you use? Um, yeah, I mean, for us, the, the platform right now is outsourced. So um, we, we, it's an external company that uh, has it, uh, but I know that they work with AWS. Okay. But for you, it's actually not so much about like using whatever the... the you, you you get, I guess, dashboards that give you the information that you want and, and 
and your focus on the content, I guess. It is it is self-built. I mean, in terms of like more business-wise communication, etc., we use tools such as uh, uh, Google Suite um, and um, what else, Slack, you know, and all these kind of tools. But if you just look at data, it is our, I mean, sometimes, of course, we still have some doc, docs, you know, Google Docs, uh, we all know them. <laughs> but we try to bring it, you know, more and more everything into the platform so that we just have to use with the pl- uh, work with the platform instead of multiple Google Docs doc sheets or Excel sheets or whatever. Yeah. Do you know how that, so I understand it's a, that you have that external team. Do you know how they are structured? Very often it's like you have uh, some analysts um, and data engineers and probably some data scientists, if you want to make a differentiation here. They call them product manager. I think they still do data scientist stuff, but, and, but you have uh, the product manager and then they again talk to the developers. Okay. And so um, where, where would you see it located in your organization? Who would they report to? They report uh, to the product lead. Okay. Who's, who's uh, in our case, uh, my co-founder, yeah. Jonas. Jonas. Okay. All right. Regarding uh, GDPR, is that rather a struggle or an opportunity for you? I mean, I'm always trying to be positive, uh, but to be honest, it is a struggle. <laughs> I mean, in, in the performance marketing industry, you cannot say it's it's a great opportunity. No, I, you know what? I think it's a, an opportunity that we try to be more creative about how we want to approach our target group. Like like what I just said, you know, that Gen Z doesn't want to see like strong performance ads anymore and just, you know, be in your face with um, CTAs. Um, so I think that's the, the, the opportunity we have now to be, again, you know, to create better content and, you know, not as, as cheap and yeah, but still, of course, let's, let's be honest. If we look at the numbers and the performances, it is a struggle. Of course. I, I, I can totally understand that because you operate exactly at that point where creative kicks in and adds value. And yeah. at the same time, because you actually want to provide a data-driven approach to that, it, it, it obviously also doesn't make things easier. Yeah, but you, you just cannot measure it. You know, it's uh, it's always you know, it's such a black box often. Yeah. Last chapter. Environmental, social and governance. To start with, why didn't, why did you or didn't you, I guess you didn't start an ESG company? Good Many question. people now want that. People want to start or work for an, a core ESG company. Um, to be honest, like um, I never started a company because I wanted to start a company. You know, I'm not the f- the founder or CEO who's like, I want to be a boss and I want to have a company. It was more like I worked for someone and saw there's a potential, you know, like a very good idea. And that's why I became a founder, not the other way around, you know. So I was never, you know, brainstorming what could I do next? Because then I would think maybe I would have, decided to to found a ESG company just because I feel like it brings you so much joy and like good vibes in your daily work if you know you got you, you change something you do something good um but that's not how I found or how we founded our company you know and that's why we we had no decision making process okay so question 34 what does Julie do in order to help our environment 
Um, well, nothing obvious, uh, but since we're in a, in a digital space, uh, we definitely support uh, digital um, instead of, you know, person meetings and processes. So that's something we have. In general, we see that our clients and also we support, um, you know, working um, carbon neutral, like m many more clients, you know, also ask us to work like that, you know, and because they, they have partners such as Planet League, Climate Partners, and so on. So it is definitely a topic that we have in our, you know, daily business as well. Um, and yeah, I'd love to to go deeper into that for us as well. I mean, it's definitely something on our roadmap to see how we can, you know, be more um, environmental. Okay. Moving on to the S in ESG, uh, which role does social play in the way you run your business? I mean, we are in social media, so we. There's definitely a focus on social. No, but in, like to be honest, like um, th th that was just a joke. And in uh, in running a business, social for me means treating employees, clients, and other parties. Um, we work together with in a very respectful and social way, you know. And um, like for ex an example would be to ha have no hire and fire mentality, you know, that many Berlin startups have. I hate that because those are still, you know, those are people and. You know, they 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 came to you to work for you, and if sometimes it doesn't fit, but I think you always need to be social about that. You know, you need to, you know, pay them the month. You know, and don't use the two weeks. Uh, you know, or don't don't fire someone at the end of the probation period. I think that's shitty. You know, you should do it like after three months if you feel like this is not a good fit, or you know, those kind of things. I'm I'm a big karma believer, so those are um, you know topics that I always try to focus on that we treat people as the same way as we want to be treated and treat them good. Um, so I guess that's something we have um, in terms of a social, but also listening to needs, helping in difficult times. You know, if an employee calls me and is like, hey, you know, I'm I'm so sad because something happened. Like, I, I just can't work today. You know, okay, of course, don't, you know, just stay at home. You know, I feel better. How can I help? Those are, those are um, yeah, things I do. And I think that are really important to also have a good culture. Cool. Finally, the last uh, of ESG, the least looked at probably, uh, governance. Uh, which criteria do you follow here? Yeah, I mean, we don't really have like a book or a process handbook that we that we wrote about governance. I'm sure it will come someday because, you know, right now I, there are so many new processes coming in as we grow. Um, But in general, I think it's more like common sense that that we use, you know, like, for example, we have salary benchmarks, you know, that everyone knows, okay, every junior earns that, every account manager earns that and so on. So we are very transparent about that. Also always um, showing the employees, okay, if I want to reach the next step, I would earn that. And that's what I need to do to, you know become promoted and so on. So being transparent about salaries, but also, you know, um, in HR, you know, there is no official process, but just making sure we have a diverse uh, HR, you know, force, uh, diverse uh, employees in the team. So everything that's for, for me is common sense. Also something we always, by the way, have look out in campaigns for, you know, if we book uh, people, if we book brand ambassadors, you know, it's the same thing. You always have to make sure you're not just booking blonde girls you know i mean that's um something we have uh, in, in hr as well but not something written down yet as a process okay um there's a little bit of focus on esg in in the startup world and um, it sometimes impacts also a funding decision and a lot of founders have to raise money uh, 
Um, do you think that this focus on ESG helps getting funding or is your impression that investors rather see this as a deflection from the classic earning as much as possible? I mean, I feel like it, it is important, but also some companies, it's also sometimes gr not greenwashing. Is it, is it called social washing then? You know what I mean? Like everyone's doing that now, yes, you know? Yeah. 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 So um, I think if you do that, that's great, but you should really focus on that. And if you are a company that focuses on revenue, I think that should be fine as well, you know? But of course, I think everyone should treat people and, you know, assets good and um you know i think the social aspect is super important for all kind of companies but of course not every company can can um serve the the um you know the uh, the env environmental social governance um aspect okay so i guess you don't have an esg office or anything similar yet at no no we yet. don't no <laughs> But okay. it's going to be me, if so. Um, if you would have that, where in the organization would that position sit? Where would you put it? I would put it in operations slash HR management, I think, as well. Super important that the management, like the, you know, CEOs and that everyone keeps an eye on it and, you know, knows how important it is. Okay. Last chapter and the last three questions. Which one is the one podcast all founders should listen to? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I'm not listening to, to podcasts that much myself. Um, with the company, you know, and all the employees, the growing part, and yeah, and most importantly, my family, you know, the two kids. Um, I don't have that time to listen to podcasts, to be honest. And if I have, I know many founders use the time, you know, by going out for a run or something. But to be honest, this kind of time, I always try to calm down to not listen to mm -hmm. anything. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm a person, if I have too many, like I'm very sensitive. If I have too many information around me, I go crazy. Like sometimes I feel like, I just want to sit in a dark re room, not see anything, not hear anything, you know. And since my day is so stressful with kids, work and so on, um, I usually have that by the end of the day. So I know my co-founder, for example, then he's going out for a run and listening to a cool new podcast. But I'm like, I don't want to hear anything anymore. You know, I'm just I just sometimes I, I listen to very med meditation, you know, music in general. I, I love medi uh, meditation. I think it's super important. Like everyone should do that uh, just to calm down, you know, to 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 relax and to see the bigger picture again. So that's why I try to not distract myself with other podcasts. But if so, I know in my industry, um, the OMR podcast is very successful. And obviously the Project A podcast, I guess. And obviously the Project A podcast. <laughs> but you just started because that's why I couldn't say it, you know, because that would be a lie. Um, but I'm going to be a big fan of it now. <laughs> um, what are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Um, please test your product first. Um, I I got introduced to sometimes to to people, you know, who, who was like, well, like, founders and want to start something and you know asking me to for advice and so often i have the thing that they're like oh this person's on board this person's gonna invest and you know i'm gonna do that blah, blah blah and then i'm like okay and what is your target group saying like did you ask them like how they would like that product you know if they would use it and they're like um no not yet you know and then that makes me that drives me crazy because sometimes i feel like people 
become founder to become founder, but not actually to, to solve a problem or a need, you know? And I think that's super important that you always make, make sure to test your product. And I did a quite similar mistake because I'm coming from the, you know, like ad tech industry. I knew how tracking works, etc., And I was like, oh yeah, amazing. You know, I'm just going to do that for influencer marketing now and people will love it. And then I talked to the CMOs of companies and they were like, mm, not sure if I want to measure it because right now I get my branding budget. Why would I measure it? And, you know, you, like I could see that my approach was not really you know, something people actually wanted in the market. So I needed to pivot the whole company and adjust everything to the needs of the market because otherwise it made no sense at that point. Um, in the long run, you know, my, my initial idea is working out, but at that point, timing was not right. So always talk to your, to your um, target customer because they are definitely more important than investors and your friends or whatever. You know, your, your customer is the most important person you talk, you should talk to uh, first. And my second uh, advice for early stage founders is to always keep on focusing. I mean, that's something I learned also the hard way because I was like still consulting another company. It was good money, you know, and I also needed money because we had no funding. So we bootstrapped the company. But I would never do that again, because even though it's maybe just a small project that you do on the side, you, like your, your energy and your flow is not 100% focused on, the, on your project, on your company. So I would always say, please focus, focus, focus. It's the most important, but also in terms of focus, don't give up fast because there will be ups and downs. And there will be times where, where like you think this is not going this is not going to be successful. Um, you know, this is not going to make me any money. But I feel like if you just stay focused and not look too much on what is my competitor doing, what is this person doing, just, you know, just, you know, watch where you, you want to be and just like kind of like affirmation, but, you know, you know, just see yourself where you want to be and work hard towards the goal and don't get distracted by others. Don't get distracted by other projects and just keep on going. I feel like this is a very important um, advice that I would give early stage founders. That's great. Thanks a lot. Very last question. Who are the two other founders? I should ask exactly this set of questions and you can make an intro for me. Um, so uh, two very um, uh, two very successful founders. I think one of them you already know um, um, that I really um, think did a great job. It's totally different than I because with lots of funding and very different style. But still, I think it's very impressive what they did. Are um, Julian Taika, who founded uh, WeFox, oh, and yeah. um, and um, Anna Alex from Planetly. I think that was very impressive as well, how fast she, she just ramped up this company with two kids and everything. Um, yeah, and, uh, and serial founder also, I mean, like Outfit to first, now Planetly. Yeah, okay, so cool. that's very impressive. And you, I mean, you, I guess you talked to her already, but um, I think these two are, yeah, very, very successful and impressive. Yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to the introductions. And if the audience <laughs> is listening to these two uh, episodes later, you will know that they came to you, thanks to Lina Arnold, who was our guest today. Thank you, Lina, so much. Uh, thanks for Thank taking you. the time. I know it is terribly early where you are, uh, <laughs> while here it's actually time to soon go to bed. Uh, so thanks a lot for taking the time, for having had all that coffee that you needed probably to, to, to get started. And uh, hope to speak to you soon and see you soon and have a great day. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.